Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us in our ongoing discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs that Jesus was a Jew. His faith is essentially based on the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it, but we perhaps should really call it the Hebrew Bible. That section of our Bible, which actually comprises 70% of divine revelation, that's the basis out of which Jesus works. He finds all his principal themes there, including the gospel itself. Do you realize then that the gospel is originally a Jewish thing? Salvation, Jesus said in John 4.22, is from the Jews. It originates with the Jews because God had chosen those people uniquely among all the peoples of the world as the vehicles of his divine revelation. It was through the Jews that God revealed the plan that he was working out on the earth, and to the Jews fell the responsibility of promoting that plan and of spreading it far and wide, of taking that plan seriously themselves and of sharing that plan with the rest of the world. Now, in the New Testament, the Christian church is the heir to Judaism, and the unique choice that God made of the Jews is now conferred upon the church which comprises Jews and Gentiles alike. That's why in Galatians 6, verse 16, Paul says that the church is the Israel of God, God's true people. If you belong to Christ, Paul said in Galatians 3.29, if you're a Christian, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise made to Abraham. And what was the promise made to Abraham? Well, of course, it was primarily the land, the land of Canaan. Abraham died without receiving that promise. And yet he died in full persuasion of the fact that he would one day rise in the resurrection from the sleep of death in order precisely to inherit that kingdom of God. The land of Canaan expanded, incidentally, to include the entire world. You remember that in Psalm 2, God said to the Messiah, Ask of me, and I will give you as your inheritance the uttermost parts of the earth. And so you see that original land promise, that oath-bound covenanted land promise made to Abraham and to the seed of Abraham is expanded as we work through the Bible to include the far reaches of this globe. And so the essential backbone story of the Bible is most simple. To Abraham, the father of the faithful, was made the promise of the land and the famous progeny, the famous descendants or seed. That seed turns out to be Messiah, Jesus. But notice carefully, Christians can be incorporated into that seed and with Messiah become heir of exactly the same promises made to Abraham and to all the faithful. The promise, I have to emphasize this, is not of heaven as a region removed from this earth, the promise made to Abraham, of course, was the land. I'm sure you remember that distinguished passage in Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. Here's how God spoke to Abraham. Now imagine hearing these wonderful words. What sort of idea would you have about the future life if you had received from God this extraordinary revelation? God said to Abraham in Genesis 13, verse 14, The Lord said, after Lot had separated from Abraham, 
Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you, that's to Abraham, and to your seed, your descendants, forever. That then is the basis of life in the coming age. And that is the basis on which we decide where the Christian reward is going to be enjoyed. So much post-biblical talk has been about heaven as some super-celestial region removed from the earth that it's very difficult now for Christians to relate intelligently to the actual Bible hope. The Bible hope is the one given to Abraham, the father of the faithful. And that biblical hope, that oath-bound, covenanted hope, relates to the land promise. There it is clearly in Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. You'll notice there in that passage which I just read that Abraham was invited to look to the four points of the compass in order to inspect the reward that would finally and ultimately be his. But he wasn't invited to look up into the sky as though he should yearn for some distant land beyond the clouds. No, the reward of faith for Abraham. And remember again that he's the father of the faithful, and remember also that in Galatians 3.8 the gospel was preached to Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 8. Well, what kind of gospel was this? It was the gospel of good news about the inheritance of the land. And also, of course, about his distinguished progeny. Now, the singular seed who came from the ancient lineage of Abraham turned out to be the Messiah Jesus. He is introduced in the first chapter and the first verse, indeed, of our New Testaments, as Jesus Messiah, son of David, and son or descendant of Abraham. Well, of course, because he's the one to whom those grand promises had pointed for all those millennia. Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to the coming of the Messiah in the future. Abraham knew that he would inherit the land. That's to say, he, Abraham, would inherit the land. But Jesus, the Messiah, was the primary recipient of those extraordinary promises of the land forever. Now, the covenant with Abraham is the basis of the Christian gospel. The book of Genesis is there for a reason. It means origin. It's the bedrock foundation of all sound theology. Not to grasp the promises made to Abraham is to fail to grasp the Christian gospel itself. Because, and I do not weary of repeating this verse, in Galatians 3.8, Paul made it clear that the gospel itself was preached to Abraham. Let me turn for a moment to Galatians chapter 3 for this wonderful unfolding in the writings of Paul here of the gospel hope, the heart of the gospel. That gospel, Paul said in Galatians 3 verse 8, had been preached beforehand to Abraham with these words, All the nations shall be blessed in you. That's to say, as joined to you in the same faith, they will receive the same blessings as you, Abraham, are going to receive. So then Paul went on in Galatians 3.9, Those who are of faith, that's to say those who are Christians of the Christian faith, are blessed with Abraham the believer. Do you see there that Abraham is actually called a believer? Indeed, the believer, he is the prototype Christian. And we are to be blessed along with Abraham.
Faith of Abraham then is the Christian faith, and it was perfectly exemplified and modeled in the life of Jesus Christ, who, as the book of Hebrews says, is the pioneer of our faith, the trailblazer, the model and hero of the Christian faith, indeed the apostle of the Christian faith. I wonder if you realize that Jesus is actually called the chief pastor in the New Testament, as well as the saint. Jesus himself is called the Holy One. The expression Holy One is used also of Christians. Both Jesus and the Christians are given the same title, the Holy One and the Holy Ones. Now, Jesus, of course, is unique as being the unique Son of God, as being sinless, as having been supernaturally conceived in the womb of his mother Mary. But he too had a genesis according to Matthew 1 and verse 18, where we read of the genesis of Jesus, the origin of Jesus indeed. As many commentaries point out, that word genesis in Greek really means origin or genesis. And Jesus had his beginning there in the womb of Mary by supernatural conception. It is that great fact about the origin of Jesus as supernaturally produced in the womb of Mary by his father which separates him from the rest of the human race. You will remember how beautifully Luke describes this in Luke chapter 1. Actually, it's the words, the revealing words of the angel which give us this precious information. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Hail, you are highly favored, and you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. Because of the conception in your womb, and I'm paraphrasing here the words of Gabriel to Mary, because of that supernatural conception in your womb, the child that you're going to produce is to be called the Son of God. Let me read you these precious words as Gabriel actually gave them to Mary to be found in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 through 35. The Messiah is going to be great, Gabriel said in verse 32, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, that's to say the Son of God, and the Lord God, that's to say God his Father, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There we see the fulfillment of the great Davidic promises of a perpetual throne. They're going to be fulfilled in Jesus, and of his kingdom there will be no end. A reminder, of course, of Isaiah chapter 9, where the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son to be born in Israel by supernatural conception is to have the throne of David forever. Imagine yourself for a moment to be in the position of Mary receiving this extraordinary communication from the angel Gabriel. No doubt many of the young ladies in Israel were wondering who indeed would be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of the Lord Messiah indeed. What a privilege to be chosen to bear the Messiah. What a privilege to have a baby supernaturally conceived in your womb, a child indeed who would be the head of the new humanity. You remember in Luke 3 that Adam is described as being the Son of God, directly created by God himself. Well, Jesus is the counterpart to Adam, the head of the new humanity, the new creation, initiated by miracle, just as the Spirit hovered over the water in Genesis on the occasion of the original creation, so the Spirit of God came on Mary to produce that head of the new creation, the Messiah and the Son of God. Naturally then, Mary had a question for Gabriel, 
Having received this information that she was going to bear the Messiah, she said this, How can this be? I'm reading here from Luke chapter 1 and verse 34. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel, that's Gabriel, answered and said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. Did you notice the origin and the cause of Jesus being called the Son of God? What is the reason for which he is entitled to that supreme designation as Son of God? Well, Gabriel spells it out clearly here. Because of this miraculous conception in the womb of Mary, this child will indeed be the unique Son of God, as having no human father, and as having as father the one God of Israel, the God of the universe indeed. What an extraordinary event is depicted here. Not only will Mary bear a child, the Messiah of Israel, but this child will be supernaturally conceived, and for that reason, Gabriel said in Luke 1.35, the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. Now this Son of God then is the object of Paul's discussion in Galatians chapter 3. We've been pointing out that the promises to Abraham included not only the land forever in perpetuity, but also a unique descendant, the seed, the famous Messiah, who as we saw there was ultimately born in the family of this young Jewish Miriam or Mary and her husband Joseph. We must break off our story at this point because we're running out of time. We invite you to request from us a free tape of the program you've been listening to and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.